Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And something wondrous has been observed in a laboratory in Sweden. Mobius sent me this news story. I was really excited while reading it. And you know what? It turns out this story, this physics story, is actually several years old. But you know, that shouldn't be so surprising, should it? Because every time some politician pulls his pants down or some celebrity says something stupid, you hear about it instantly. But when there is some kind of remarkable scientific advance made, it might be years before you hear about it. You might never hear about it unless you just go looking for it specifically. So that's kind of a sad commentary on the way that the media works and the way the human attention span uh, is is taught to to function the habits that we fall into but anyway here is the gist of this story and I'm going to give you some specific details here in a minute but you know of course that scientists have told us quantum physicists have told us you know for, for decades that they have evidence for these particles of matter that sort of pop in and out of existence and nobody knows where the hell they go when they disappear so you can sort of imagine that right now as you are walking around living your life you are immersed within this reality full of matter and energy and yet overlaid with that is some other realm from which particles just sort of appear and then disappear and we don't know where they're going What's on the other side of this mirror? You know, is it just one realm? Are there a million realms? Where do these particles come from and where do they go? It doesn't make a lot of sense. They just sort of appear out of nowhere. And this has always been a a, a fascinating idea for me because when I started really getting serious into paranormal investigation about 25 years ago, I started saying, okay, I'm going to approach this in the most methodical, rational way possible. If you're going to tell me that there is some type of remarkable manifestation that is occurring out there, and I want to know what this thing is, the first thing I have to do is figure out what powers it. Where does it get its energy? You know, where's the battery supply for this thing? I don't care if it's a ghost or a UFO or, or, or you know, some Bigfoot, some cryptid. In fact, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I think it's very simple to use this example because we are people and we can relate to how organisms need energy to survive. So let's say uh, I go out there to investigate some property where somebody says I've seen a Bigfoot, basically. Well, the closest thing that I know scientists, mainstream scientists say, is alive. I've actually seen one that resembles a Bigfoot would be a gorilla. So let's just take a look at gorillas. So gorillas, the mainstream scientists say, are the largest living primates. They say that they share 95 to 99% of their DNA with humans, depending on what's included in that measurement. Gorillas can live 40 years. The largest gorilla ever recorded was 6 feet tall and weighed 589 pounds. The average gorilla eats 44 pounds of vegetation per day. That's a lot, 44 pounds. 
a lot of people out there can't even lift 44 pounds. So if Bigfoot is going to be eight or nine feet tall, I think we can easily say that if, if a Bigfoot is in physiological, biological makeup like a gorilla or, or similar to that, then it's going to need 80 to 100 pounds of vegetation per day and a hell of a lot of water. It's also going to be leaving a hell of a lot of shit everywhere, by the way. And uh, now, when it comes to the nutrition, I know that there are some of you who will say, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. You're trying to tell me all the time that Bigfoot is some kind of an interdimensional being. No, no, no. He's just a big ape. He's just a big hairy biological organism we just haven't caught him yet and you're saying well he needs uh a hundred pounds of veggies per day but you don't understand he has this incredible speed he can run through the wilderness and he can tackle a deer and he's eating meat every time you talk to one of these people who is just stuck on the idea that Bigfoot has to be a normal biological organism out there, and you come up with a reason why it doesn't make sense. They come up with some kind of, uh, like, this super ability that this thing might have in order to explain it, and the more they do that, the more magical they're making it seem, which is a paradox, right? (laughs) It's like, you can have it one way or the other. Either we take gorillas and humans and what might be in that, you know, proximity and use them as examples and look at what's realistic. Or you're telling me this creature has all these abilities that are just completely out of left field, which makes him a magical being. So you can't have it both ways. But my point is, Okay, so if I were to go and investigate some Bigfoot site, I would want to know right off the bat. All right, I'm basing this on as many facts as I've got. If this thing has got to eat 80 to 100 pounds of veggies or, or yeah, per day, you know, where where is this creature going to get that? Okay, and if I find a place that will provide that, where is the evidence that this creature has been consuming that much? You need to see some kind of impact you know and and so then uh again that it's going to go through this creature and he's going to take a big dump somewhere okay where are all these huge dumps oh they will they bury them okay all right fine uh, where's all the hair you know you could probably take a hike and i could go on that hike and find a hair from you if if you told me like oh, i'll give you a million dollars if you find a hair from this guy i could probably do it bigfoot is covered in hair running around naked there's no way that Bigfoot can be a normal biological organism in 99.9% of the cases when Bigfoot is described. Now, trust me, I know there are regions of this earth, like maybe, you know, maybe around Siberia or certain parts of the Pacific Northwest where, you know, you can make a stronger case for the fact that there might be a huge ape hiding out there. But when you consider that we have reports of Bigfoot from every single one of the 50 United States every single year, 99.9% of them uh, either have to be some kind of an interdimensional being or it's just a false report. There's no way to reconcile that logically. So you see the approach I take. If I'm looking for a creature, and I'm going to get back to a Bigfoot-oriented story later in the podcast, I'm always looking at what's the power supply. You know, What do they need to eat in order to survive, in order to make it happen? So when you hear these stories about these incredible UFOs, these flying saucers 
that come here from, who knows, maybe light years away, other dimensions. You're always wondering, well, where where do they get the power for this? Because when you see them, I mean, uh, some of them look like they're so super efficient, they've got to be using a power source that we're not familiar with. You know, for years... I worked in the laboratory with Charles Yost, who was a NASA Hall of Fame engineer. He was the publisher of the Electric Spacecraft Journal. And we built flying saucers and electric-type spacecraft that would fly right there in the lab. But they always had to be, or or most always, had to be uh, tethered to a power supply or put into like a controlled environment where they uh, they were fed power and 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 so basically what i'm saying is that our current technology when it comes to power supplies batteries is is very crude because it's really heavy and it's very inefficient compared to what we are seeing with some of these apparently sort of exotic craft that are you know flying in here from other worlds so we've always been wondering where do they get their power supply from They're not carrying all these batteries through space and time with them. Maybe instead they have a certain ability to actually sort of withdraw energy directly from their environment, directly from what's around them. And that would be certainly a holy grail of physics to just directly tap into the energy that's just sitting there, you know. It's there all the time. You see little bits and pieces of it popping in and out. But you you get to you know like plug the hose in there and it just comes shooting through and you're like wow wherever I go now I don't have to worry about energy it's there huge practical benefit to that when it comes to ghosts you know I'd go to some place where somebody says I have a ghost here I'm seeing a glowing form objects are flying off the walls I'm thinking where's the power supply for this there has to be some kind of a parallel realm where the power for this stuff exists and it has to be able to appear at any point in time and space in order for these effects to be explainable according to the human mind so i've always been interested in these discoveries regarding particles that just sort of pop in and out at any point in space time they they're here in our reality and then they're somewhere else and then they come back where do they go? Where are they coming from? Because you see, this might be the explanation for these strange things we experience in life and these advanced technologies, these exotic technologies that we witness. And of course, a vacuum is a great place to try to study these things because, you know, I have a huge, very nice, expensive vacuum chamber, you know, NASA quality vacuum chamber in my laboratory. And you got to be careful when you use a vacuum chamber of this power. Um, I actually have it on display right now at the Asheville Mystery Museum in Asheville, North Carolina. And it's the vacuum chamber that I used when my team and I were doing experiments to try to recreate something like the Brown Mountain Lights on a smaller scale. When you have a very powerful vacuum... It's interesting, like, you know, you can put a marshmallow in that thing, and then you turn the vacuum on, and it sucks all the air out, and guess what? The marshmallow gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then, boom, the marshmallow fills up the entire 
tube, you know. So, like, usually you have some kind of a tube or a chamber that you put on top. Uh, it's like a, we, we always use the thick acrylic, clear acrylic tube. So, yeah, you put a marshmallow in there, you suck all the air out, the marshmallow gets bigger. Poof. If you put a cup of water in a vacuum and then you turn it on, the water starts to boil. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because I don't want to get into to, too much science right now, um, at least more than I have to. But yeah, water in a vacuum boils because when you start removing the air and you start removing the pressure, it starts changing the boiling point of water. Very interesting. So weird stuff happens in a vacuum. But you get a vacuum, you pump out everything you can pump. And yet still, it's not empty. There's always something in there because you have these little particles that are bouncing in and out and this is when you get a good clear look at them when you've removed all the other stuff that could be distracting so this article is from phys.org phys.org which of course is a physics website uh, it says scientists create light from vacuum and I'm just going to read some of this from you, uh, reads uh, for you. Scientists at Chalmers University, and that's in Sweden. Scientists at Chalmers University of Technology have succeeded in creating light from vacuum, observing an effect first predicted over 40 years ago. The results will be published in the journal Nature. In an innovative experiment, the scientists have managed to capture some of the photons that are constantly appearing and disappearing in the vacuum. It says the experiment is done based on one of the most counterintuitive yet most important principles in quantum mechanics. That vacuum is by no means empty nothingness. In fact, the vacuum is full of various particles that are constantly fluctuating in and out of existence. They appear, exist for a brief moment, and then disappear again. Since their existence is so fleeting, they are usually referred to as virtual particles. A Chalmers scientist, Christopher Wilson, and his co-workers have succeeded in getting photons to leave their virtual state and become real photons, that is, measurable light. The physicist Moore predicted in 1970 this should happen if the virtual photons are allowed to bounce off a mirror moving at the speed of light. Okay, so, so now they get into like some more technical stuff, but they bring up something very interesting, and they say that this involves the phenomenon known as the dynamical Casimir effect. Now, the Casimir effect is something that I also worked on experiments with Yost uh, regarding and Casimir is, in a nutshell, that if you take two parallel metal plates, okay, you take two metal plates and you put them very close to each other, suddenly there's an attractive force between them. And for the longest time, nobody could under, understand or explain where does this force come from that, that makes these two plates attracted to each other. To, to put it in the most basic way, the Casimir effect is a small attractive force that acts between two close, parallel, uncharged conducting plates. So you take two little metal plates, 
maybe one could be six six inches by six inches the other could be six inches by six inches let's say they're made out of steel you put them next to each other and you get them closer and closer and closer and you finally get them to a certain point and boom they start being attracted to each other well why is that they say it's due to quantum vacuum fluctuations of the electromagnetic field so let me put it this way um okay this can be demonstrated if let's say we have a big tub of water and the water is just still and you put a couple of plates down inside the water that are very very close to each other and then you decide well i'm going to try to make this water act more like the fluctuations of energy in the universe going through the vacuum and so you turn on some device that sends a vibration through the water so you start seeing all these ripples and patterns form in the water well when you do that suddenly the plates get forced together because they are close to each other but each one has all this space outside of it and that space is now teeming with all this vibration and so that vibration makes those two things push together because that active space outside those plates is more powerful than that little space between those plates so this is the casimir effect and they're saying that this experiment involved the casimir effect that you know they're they're saying that ultimately this is related because it's showing us that right now as we stand here as you sit there whatever you're doing you are surrounded by these incredible waves of fluctuating energy and they are affecting everything around you it doesn't matter if you have a vacuum and you pump out all the extraneous stuff that might you know blur what's happening still then you can see it even more clearly we are standing within an undulating fluctuating ocean of energies and these energies are not only here within this realm but they are also coming from other realms and they're coming in and they're moving out and they're coming in and they're moving out we know that as above so below therefore it may be that yes we see this happening in the very tiny quantum world but it also is happening sometimes on a larger scale at certain places like the bermuda triangle um the uh the brown mountain area these are places where it's happening on a larger scale in a very visible way and your house might be a little example of this that's why you might have a haunted house you've got a little bit of a triangle right there at your house where some of the stuff that's popping in and out is magnified and so there is a power supply and one day we humans are going to learn how to tap into that same power supply that makes a ghost 
active and interactive for a while. That same power supply that sends some UFOs zipping around the cosmos without having to carry a heavy load of batteries. The same power supply that you might tap into when you meditate, when you're trying to heal yourself, when you're having a psychic experience. It's all sitting right there. It's on top of us in another realm. And we see little pieces of it. And that is why it's so fitting to talk about this after just doing a podcast about the first picture of a black hole. Because a black hole is a gigantic, unimaginably enormous example of this. It's like, again, every single time we look into a vacuum and we see one of these little particles sort of pop in and out. What we're really looking at are little black holes. So now we have this picture of a giant black hole. And what do we see happening when we look at the black hole? The big giant one, like a huge gateway to another realm. You see all this stuff being sucked into it. But then amazingly, you see some kind of jet of radiation also shooting out of it. So you see what's happening here is an exchange of energy between these two places. So that's why I think looking at a picture of a black hole and what we've learned about what a black hole is, is really no different than looking into a vacuum and being able to now see the flashes of light popping in and out that are representing the particles moving between these two realms. It's just on a different scale. It's the same thing. It's just on a different scale. And that's why I say I don't think black holes always have to be some huge thing that's out there 55 million miles away that every single cell, molecule, atom is immersed within a field of singularities where information is being exchanged back and forth and someday we will understand that enough to tap into it at will when we want to and that is when we humans will advance into something closer to a type one civilization we right now look like gorillas compared to the humans that we will be one day when we get to the point of tapping into that but at least now you know we've got some interesting theories right (laughs) it is hard to believe isn't it that uh supposedly we share so much of our dna with gorillas and uh and even chimpanzees i got this message from a listener named Ryan and there is a radio uh, I'm sorry it's a television station in Raleigh called this is Raleigh North Carolina called WRAL and I'm going to of course I'll be posting the article for you that I was just referring to about the um, vacuum experiment but I'm also going to post for you this report that WRAL has released this month, which is sort of an update on Nobby. You ever heard of Nobby? 
Nobby is one of those good old regional Bigfoot type creatures. Nobby is called Nobby because in the 1970s he was first spotted near Shelby, North Carolina, which is about an hour and 20 minute drive from Asheville, North Carolina. He was first spotted on this mountain they call Carpenter's Knob. And so Nobby is pretty much a, he's a traditional, just, you know, Bigfoot skunk ape type of thing that they say is running around out there. Um, apparently, some say he's 10 feet tall. Here's a description from one of the guys who saw Nobby uh, most recently named Timothy Peeler. He called 911. And uh, he said he spotted a man beast upwards of 10 feet tall that screeched like a night bird and grunted in the warm night air. The creature uh, sported dark hair with a gray beard stretching to its navel. Authorities were dispatched that morning around 3 (laughs) a.m. Deputies filed a suspicious person report after investigating the incident. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool to be a deputy and get a call? You know, you're just sitting there drinking your coffee in for a boring night, probably listening to Coast to Coast AM, and you get the call like, uh, dude's seeing the Bigfoot out here. <laughs> You'd be like, hell yeah. Oh, man, that would be cool. So anyway, very good report, though. Um, and, of course, one of the funny things about the report is they're showing how, like, this at least one guy is sort of capitalizing on it, selling knobby T-shirts, and um, he has on display what they call the get stick, which is the actual stick that one of the witnesses used. Might be the same guy. They didn't make it very clear. He had a stick... And he's poking this thing at Nobby. It's like a walking stick, you know. And he goes, get, get, get out of here. And so they call that the get stick. And so the get stick is hanging there. Interesting story. You know, when you go to South Carolina, Bishopville, where they have the lizard man, you encounter that kind of thing as well. And I love that stuff. I don't know if it's real or not, but I just love the idea the wonder of it all, going to rural areas where they have their own, like, local folk monster But I will tell you this. This is interesting. Since people are apparently still seeing the the knobby creature, as you know, my buddy Christian McLeod is the president of the Asheville Cryptid Society. And it just so happens that I have a really nice hookup with some free accommodations in Shelby, North Carolina. And I don't think I'm going to be able to take advantage of them this year. Um, so if that, if that can be transferable, then I'm going to transfer that to Christian McLeod and see if uh, he and the folks at the Asheville Cryptid Society want to go spend a night or two around Shelby and do a knobby field report for this podcast. And, uh, you know, Christian is cryptidguy.com, cryptidguy.com. I think that's what it is. Maybe it's the cryptid guy. Let's see. I don't want to give out the wrong 
Where are we? Yeah, it's cryptidguy.com. C-R-Y-P-T-I-D, cryptidguy.com. So I need to talk to Christian and see if he wants to go to Shelby and, uh, and do an investigation. But listen to this. This Thursday night, April the 18th of 2019, Christian McLeod is going to be conducting a very special haunted Asheville ghost tour in Asheville, North Carolina. One of our favorite stories is the story of the ghoul that appeared in the old jail. Now, if you've ever read my book, Haunted Asheville, there's a whole chapter devoted to this incident. And what you'll find is that, you know, like in most cities in Asheville, North Carolina, properties have been uh, torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt. And the last time they demolished an old jail building, I went to extraordinary lengths to actually have them keep some of those pieces intact and give them to me for the Asheville Mystery Museum, which is where they are now located. And I have the only intact nice pieces from the previous jail in Buncombe County, North Carolina. All the rest were cut up into the smallest pieces possible and scrapped. But thank goodness the contractors were um, some good fellows from Tennessee and they realized my interest in history and they helped me out and they worked with me and I was able to get these pieces that are in the museum. So we're very interested in old jail type stories. And there is a story that I discovered after, you know, I mean, nobody had ever talked about this. I, I came across it in the library when I was a teenager and I was doing research on weird stuff in Asheville. I just happened to stumble upon this story from 1908. It was published April 18th of 1908 in the Asheville Gazette News. Bizarre tell. They said a ghastly, quote, spook or ghoul appeared around midnight to terrorize and taunt the prisoners for two hours, swinging from the bars and grinning in a manner to make the hair stand and the blood run cold. So this is like some kind of gremlin, right? Some fainted while others hid under their blankets and pillows. The demonic gremlin moved its creepy lips, but no words would escape. The next day, the men were in such state of profound disarray and shock that they agreed to give up drinking, cursing, and playing of cards and convert from a sinful life. So this coming Thursday, April 18, 2019, is going to be the 111-year anniversary of that appearing in the newspaper in Asheville. And you know what? Maybe... Maybe that damn thing is going to make a reappearance for us, especially around some of the old gel bars that we have in the museum. I'm serious. So that night, this Thursday, April 18th, 2019, Christian McLeod is going to lead this special 8 p.m. Haunted Asheville walking tour. So what I say is get ready for a wild night. Okay, because you're going to go and you're going to see the place in the you know where this occurred and everything, and then you're going to get to go there pretty late at night and take pictures, take measurements, do whatever you want to around the old bars that we have 
from the last uh, Buncombe County Jail establishment. And look, if if they say sometimes speak of the devil and he will appear, we're going to talk about this ghoul, this creature, on the basically the anniversary of it coming to attention, uh, to attention of the world. And so this is your opportunity to take a haunted Asheville ghost tour on a very special night. We don't have these types of special tours too often. You'll, you'll get the, all the works of the regular tour, but with this special cherry on top. If you want to make a reservation, you have to do it online. Go to hauntedashville.com, hauntedashville.com for this Thursday night. Man, I wish I could be there for this. Uh, but speaking of my schedule, you know, I, this coming week, I am going to be doing non-stop field investigations. My buddy Dean Worsing is going to be in town with his wife, Anne. Dean is, he's an investigator. He's been a friend for a long time. We've been on many TV shows together. We did a a movie project together. Um, Dean is, he's a graduate of my paranormal investigator course. He is an instructor of EVP at a college in Maryland. I mean, he's one of the most fun, accomplished people I've ever met. Dean is going to be here this week, and we have a lot of investigations planned. So I've got a very busy schedule, but I'm looking forward to it. That means I I, I may be posting even less than usual this week, but that's okay because I, I swear to you when I do post, it's going to be some good stuff because we're going to be out there and we're going to be getting into some mischief and it's going to be cool as hell. But just remember now, next weekend, Saturday there, it, we're going to have another Creepy Vegas tour. If you're going to be in the Vegas area, Las Vegas, Nevada, go to creepyvegas.com, creepyvegas.com, and get your ticket. You, we, we had a, another big crowd this past Saturday. Everybody loved it. So, you know, we're very, very happy with how that's going. Creepyvegas.com. For now, it's only available on Saturdays. But if you want to do it on another night, I tell you what, you just email me. You go to the site, you email me. We'll see if we can work with you on another night. All right. But look, I believe that's going to do it for this particular edition of the podcast If you go to my personal website, joshuapwarren.com, joshuapwarren.com, there's no period after the P, you'll find a lot of cool stuff. You can click the link to the Curiosity Shop and find things that you won't find anywhere else. Or you can click that link to this podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily. You can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at joshuapwarren.com at joshuapwarren.com and I'll usually post when a new one is available. This podcast is always short. It's always free. It's independent. It's uncensored. So that said, I hope you are in for an exciting week. If not, well, I am. So just wait till I have to tell you next. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.